God, this is an amazing day. And it is a day of memory, and it's a day that you command us, not just in the United States, but you command us through the scriptures to make this a day of remembrance. Thank you, God, that on this particular day, you chose to reveal yourself, you chose to reveal your harvest and your harvest plans to us, your people, to your special possession. Who are we, God, that we are able to participate in such grand things? Help us, God, now to be in awe of you, astounded at your brilliant plan that has been at work for so many millennia. Thank you, God. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Okay, so obviously I alluded in the prayer. That is a pretty amazing day. Anybody have any idea what today is? Today is Pentecost. It's 50 days since the festival of the first fruits. Or the day that Jesus rose from the dead. It's the birthday of God's church. This is the day. Today is Pentecost. Happy Pentecost. And I'm going to... I'm going to go off off script where we normally preach through the Gospel of Luke every Sunday. But on certain Sundays, whether it's Easter or Mother's Day, we have come off script. Certainly, certainly on Pentecost, I ought to come off script and be able to look at the grandeur that is the establishment of the body of Christ by God the Holy Spirit on this amazing day. Turn with me over to Acts chapter 2. Now as you turn, know that there are gathering in Jerusalem Jews from all over the place. Not just the disciples that are there, but all of the people of God's old covenant have made their way to Jerusalem. They are commanded to do so three times a year throughout the old covenant. And all three times are to celebrate harvest. Now, For us, we don't get so excited about harvest. As a matter of fact, the idea of like bringing in the sheaves, they will come rejoicing, bringing in the sheaves. It's not even a song we sing. And if we did, we wouldn't even know what we were singing. And the closest thing that we have to bringing in the harvest is asking the kids to help get the groceries out of the back of the car. And that's not a moment of joy. It's a moment of, oh, come on, have a good attitude. Can't you help out around the house a little bit? I mean, I mean, that's how easy life has become for us as a people. Is that it's annoying to bring in the harvest. And we're not talking about raw ingredients like barley and, and uh, wheat. We're talking about cocoa puffs. Already processed in the box. I'm talking about immediacy bringing in the sheaves ready to be enjoyed, already produced for you. So again, for us, this is a world apart. But if you can imagine for a moment, are we going to have food? Will the land produce the sustenance so that we can continue to thrive as a people? Yes, it has. Praise you, O God. And to gather up the fruit of the harvest 
and to be able to celebrate it and bring it to the temple and wave it before the Lord in joyous gratitude was a moment of the greatest exaltation for all of God's people. Just go with that. At least in imagination for a moment here. And so there would be these three huge celebrations and it was mandatory meeting time. And you all would, would gather together from all the corners of Israel three times a year. The first time was the first harvest, also known as the Feast of First Fruits. It's also known as Passover or Unleavened Bread. They all happen at the same time of year, but it is, it is, it is marked by not only the Passover, the deliverance from Egypt, the deliverance from slavery, but it's also marked by this idea that this is the, the evidence of the first harvest that God gives, the evidence of first fruits. And by the way, Jesus rose on the day of first fruits. He was killed as the Passover lamb on Pentecost, and three days later, rose to be presented as a first fruit. Matter of fact, 1 Corinthians 15, 20 says, But Christ has indeed been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. Now, that is the beginning of the harvest. That's the beginning of the barley harvest. But the big harvest, the wheat harvest, isn't going to happen until about 50 days later. For me, I, I, you know, it's not like I'm some sort of farmer or anything. I got a little garden plot in the back. But I also have you know, flower beds throughout the yard. And I've started to keep a journal because it's just so beautiful and astounding, the regularity of God's work as you see different blossoms come into full bloom. So, for example, around Easter time, I noticed that the azaleas all came into bloom, as well as the hydrangeas. And that was pretty encouraging. And now, just recently, I see that the, the knockout roses are suddenly all in bloom. And the liriope have all kind of sprouted up and kind of shoved all the old liriope to the side. Later in the year, around 4th of July, I can usually count on the crepe myrtles likewise coming about. Some of you all are just thinking to me, allergies. I don't have allergies. So these are only moments of joy for me. I'm sure you're like, oh, i got to brace myself for that one. Let me put on my calendar. Get more Claritin on July 3rd. But not, nonetheless, for Israel, there would have been a hopeful anticipation of every one of those harvests as well. The first harvest, right around the, first, uh, uh, the middle of Nisan, their first month, and that's the harvest of first fruits. The later harvest, that's the big harvest, right in the middle of the harvest season, when things are really starting to pour in. And that's the harvest, which is also known as the festival of the harvest, or the festival of weeks in the Bible. And in the New Testament, they call it Pentecost. Why? Because it's seven weeks plus a day. That's 50 days. And the Greek word for 50 is Pentecost. So that's why it's called that. It's just another way of saying the festival of weeks, or the festival of 50 and, and then the last harvest occurs at the end of the harvest season. And the end of our harvest season is October, you know, uh, September, October. And that's the, the festival of, of booths or tabernacles. And that's the last of the harvest that comes in. I'll, I'll talk about that later in a moment. But here's what's incredible. Is that as the fulfillment of all of these harvests come about in the new covenant, Jesus slaughtered as the Passover lamb on Passover. Jesus raised from the dead as a first fruit on the festival of first fruits. And then the great harvest 
of all of God's people occurs on what day? The festival of harvest. That's the festival we're going to look at right now. The festival of weeks, the festival of harvest, the idea of Pentecost. Acts 2 verse 1. When the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place. And they were in the upper room in Jerusalem. Suddenly, a sound like the blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. They saw what seemed to be like tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. Alright, now, got to put yourself in their place just a little bit more. If you're a Jew and you're hanging in Jerusalem and you're anticipating the next great harvest, the next great day of harvest, you're not anticipating this at the moment. You're just getting excited that tomorrow is Pentecost. Yeah. But as you're thinking about it, you would have been doing some biblical acknowledgement of what goes down on this day. And it's not just that the, the great sheaves of wheat are brought in on Pentecost. One other thing happens on this day. And the other thing that happens, and it's a big one, the biggest one, because it's not just the birthday of the church on Pentecost, but on the very day of Pentecost was also the birthday of Israel as God's people. How huge is that? How cool is God that he sets up both of those birthdays on the same day? And why is that? Because we know from Exodus chapter 19 that when you do the math about the, the after the moon, the full moon, the new moon, and the days that, that then come, that what happens is, is that when God says in three days, Moses, I'm going to come down and I'm going to make a covenant with you and with my people, my precious possession. And in three days, I will come down on this mountain, on Mount Sinai, on Pentecost, on the same day. And on this day, is the day where God gave His law and He also gave opportunity for the people of God to affirm that they would indeed be His people and they would be His God. As a matter of fact, I'll, I'll just reference this to you rather quickly here. Although the whole earth is mine, you will be for me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. These are the words, Moses, that you speak to the Israelites. So Moses went back, summoned the elders, set before them all the words the Lord had commanded to speak. And the people all responded together, We will do everything the Lord has said. And so Moses brought his answer back to the Lord. But what's also rather astounding about this day is what happened when God made himself known at this moment. And as he came down, on the morning of the third day, there was, and try to picture this with all you got right now, thunder and lightning, a thick cloud over the mountain, and a very loud trumpet blast. Has anyone ever been like in a band or had a child, maybe for blessing or woe, take the trumpet as, a, as an instrument in your home? And maybe they want to show you like, hey, look what I learned. And then they want to like blast that trumpet as loud as they can. That ain't nothing compared to a trumpet blast from heaven. Okay. 
Everyone in the camp, everyone, how many? Two million people, approximately. Loud enough, two million people in this camp. Everyone in the camp trembled. Then Moses led the people out of the camp to meet with God, and they stood at the foot of Mount Sinai. Mount Sinai was covered with smoke because the Lord descended on it in fire. So some sort of a fireball with smoke spread out far and wide beyond the camp descends and engulfs the top of a mountain. What in the world? The smoke billowed up from it like smoke from a furnace and the whole mountain trembled violently. How would that feel being near that mountain? As the sound of the trumpet grew louder and louder, Moses spoke and the voice of God answered him. And when the voice of God answered him, it says it thundered. It thundered through the camp. Now here's something interesting. Is that in, uh, in Jewish tradition that, that would have been known rather well to everybody gathered in this upper room. Everybody in Acts chapter 2 that would have been studying, reflecting, meditating on this great and awesome day. This great day when God chose his people. The birthday of God's people as they're waiting to be able to celebrate the birthday of God's people, they would have also reflected on this Jewish tradition. And this is a fragment called a, um, well, it's called a fragment targum, and it's from a fragment targum group called Cairo Genize. And it was found in, in a library in Egypt. And here's what it says. The, and this would be Jewish teachings that would have surrounded this event. The first commandment, which was given on the top of Mount Sinai of the Ten Commandments. The first commandment, when it left the mouth of the Holy One, came out as meteors and lightning and as torches or tongues of fire. Oh, wow. Wow. And this fire went to its right, went to its left, burst forth, flew through the air in heavenly expanse, and it proceeded to circle the entire camp of Israel. Why that harvest of the birthday of the church back in Exodus 19 and 20? Why? Because back in the beginning of Genesis, God had to scatter His people. When they made the Tower of Babel, and they became so self-sufficient that they thought, we can build a tower all the way up to God because we have the self-sufficiency and the self-determination to be able to do so. And God looked at the people and realized the pride of their hearts and decided, I need to scatter them. And I need to confuse their languages. And according to tradition, there were 70 or 72 languages of the earth that God scattered at that time. And as He scattered them and scattered their languages so that they could never conspire together in their own self-will to try to, in a sense, connect to God, rather than humbly come before God to be reconciled to Him, God then scattered His people, His creation. Mount Sinai is a reversal of that. Because it is also the Jewish tradition at this time that when the law was given on Pentecost, in, Acts 9, in, in Exodus 19 and 20, when God had the birthday of His people Israel, He also proclaimed His law through the 70 elders that are mentioned here. And those 70 elders 
were given the gift to speak in the 70 languages of the earth. We see that happening later in the book of Exodus, but it's also mentioned throughout the Jewish tradition as happening to those elders at this moment so that rather than all people being scattered, now all people could be called back to God and to His good, pleasing, and perfect will as revealed on Mount Sinai through His gracious law. And so you have this reversal and the very first of the harvests of God's people. What was once scattered has now been gathered together. And my first point is no more chains. God's first harvest was harvesting His people out of the slavery that was in Israel. And as the upper room group of, of Christians were awaiting what they were reflecting on and what they were celebrating was that we are going to celebrate the day that God took us out of bondage, out of slavery, out of bricks without straw, out of 400 years of that sort of misery and released our chains, brought us into glorious freedom and allowed us not only to be a people, but as the only people on earth to be His special possession, His people. What a birthday celebration they were reflecting on at that very moment. But, as we read on here, so again, as they reflect on it, and they reflect on the, the trumpet, the, the thunder, the lightning, just the sound and the fury of a mountain on fire, trembling, about to break apart with the presence of Yahweh, Almighty God, in their midst, my goodness, and then suddenly they hear a violent wind. And it was the sound of the violent wind that brought all the believers into alarm that had gathered together wanting to know what was happening as they anticipated early on this day. Just as early on this day, back in, uh, back in uh, Exodus 19, this occurred. It says, they, they saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on them. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. Now, there were staying in Jerusalem God-fearing Jews from every nation under heaven. And that's code language for a Jew to mean the 70 languages of the nations have all gathered together. They would have, that's their thinking as they hear this. When they heard this sound, a crowd came together in bewilderment. Again, it's the sound. It's, it's the intense piercing and rumbling and awe-inspiring fear of this sound of God now coming to rest, not on Mount Sinai, but now in Jerusalem, wow. on this great mountain, Mount Zion. Utterly amazed, they asked, oh, I'm sorry, when they heard this sound, a crowd came together in bewilderment because each one heard their own language being spoken. What was once the scattering at the Tower of Babel is now the reverse of the curse. Come on. And God, rather than scattering His people, is now using the languages of all the nations to call them back to Him again. Wow, mercy. Not for their self-will, 
But for now, for their regeneration and being ultimately the body of Christ. Aren't, utterly amazed, they ask, aren't all these people who are speaking Galileans? How is it that each of us hears them in our own native language? Again, there is no like, what are they speaking? This is kind of some sort of glossolalia. I don't understand what's going on here. They heard them speaking the 70 languages of the earth. They heard them speaking languages that were their own native languages. Parthians, Mede, Elamites, residents of Mesopotamia, Judea, Cappadocia, Pontus, and Asia. Phrygia, Pamphylia, Egypt, parts of Libya near Cyrene, visitors from Rome, both Jews and converts, Cretan, Arabs. We hear them declaring the wonders of God in our own languages. From Europe, from Asia, from Africa, from the middle of the Mediterranean Sea, they've all gathered together. This is the reverse of Babel. This is the reverse of the curse and bringing together, not only to this one spot, but now through all their languages, instead of a curse from God, the ultimate blessing from God. We'll see what that blessing is in a moment. Amazed and perplexed, they asked one another, what does this mean? Some, however, made fun of them and said, they've had too much wine to drink. And I'll come back to that in a moment. Then Peter stood up with the eleven, raised his voice and addressed the crowd, fellow Jews, all of you who live in Jerusalem, let me explain this to you. And it's as though Peter, now standing on Mount Zion, has stood in for the very role that was Moses. And now to be able to explain to the people from Jesus the great will of God. Fellow Jews, these people are not drunk as you suppose. It's only nine in the morning. No, this is what was spoken of by the prophet Joel. In the last days, God says, I will pour out my spirit on all people. Your sons and daughters will prophesy. Young men will see visions. Your old men will dream dreams. And I noticed one old man who, I think his eyes were shut because he was dreaming dreams just a moment ago. That's very apt. It's Pentecost, right? I think that's what was going on anyway. I, I know there are a lot of Old Testament references. Don't operate heavy machinery, by the way, while you're listening to this sermon, if you're listening to it while you drive. Uh, Even on my servants, both men and women, I will pour out my spirit in those days. They will prophesy. I will show wonders in the heavens above. As God has just done, Peter's explaining it. Signs on the earth below, blood and fire, billows of smoke. This is all that happened in Exodus 19 and 20 as well. The sun will be turned to darkness, the moon to blood, before, before the coming of the great and glorious day of the Lord. This is not yet the day of the Lord, but this is a prequel to what will happen at the final harvest. And everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Fellow Israelites, listen to this. Jesus of Nazareth was a man accredited by God to you by miracles, wonders, signs, which God did among you through him, as you yourselves know. This man was handed over to you by God's deliberate plan and foreknowledge, and you, with the help of wicked men, you put him to death by nailing him to the cross. But God raised him from the dead, freeing him from the agony of death, because it was impossible for death to keep its hold on him. And thus he became... Not only the Passover lamb, but the first fruits. At the end of this explanation where he explains about 
David still being in the tomb, but Jesus is not in the tomb, he concludes with these words in verse 36. Therefore, let all Israel be assured of this. God has made this Jesus, whom you crucified, both the Lord and Messiah. When the people heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the other apostles, Brothers, what shall we do? Peter replied, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Something no one in the Old Testament ever had. No one ever had the Spirit dwell within them. Jesus mentions that specifically in John 7.38 at one of these great feasts. They're going to get that. They're going to be harvested by God Himself. The promise is for you and your children, for all who are far off, even for those in 2015 sitting in an auditorium in Yates Elementary School, for all whom the Lord our God will call. And with many other words, He warned them and He pleaded with them, Save yourselves from this corrupt generation. Those who accepted His message were baptized, and about 3,000 were added to their number that day. Amen. My second point is, no more stains. In this new harvest, in this new birthday, not a birthday of a nation, but now the birthday of the body of Christ, not only are our chains removed of bondage to sin, but now because of the blood of Jesus and because of His first fruits, we now have every stain of sin, transgression, iniquity, every affront to God, every activity of cosmic treason before our Holy Father, every one of that, as you sit here now, every one of those stains has no existence in your being. You were born again. You were washed. You were sanctified. You were justified by the blood of Jesus Christ and by the work of the Holy Spirit. 1 Corinthians 6.11 gives us that exact idea there. And not only that, but in giving you the Holy Spirit within you, you have been harvested by God. You have been sealed. You have been marked. And you have been given a guarantee that you will participate in the final harvest to come. All this is yours. And now, the great festival of first fruits was fulfilled by Jesus. But now, this middle massive harvest of the feast of harvest of Pentecost is fulfilled in you. You're that harvest. It began on this day and it continues to this day now. There'll be a final harvest that I'll speak of in a moment, but you are that harvest. It's an astounding harvest and you are God's special possession. Not only that, you are His sons and daughters. You are His great and fresh special possession. Not only that, but He has given you His very Spirit to cause you to be born again and for that very Spirit, the Spirit of God, to dwell within you. So that you no longer have to be living in fear and confinement by the law, but that you transcend the law when you really allow the Spirit 
to give full expression to your new life in God as His new harvest. As a matter of fact, it's, I believe, I'm going to read this really quick if I find it. Paul says this about this Holy Spirit. What shall I say? Is the law sinful? Certainly not. Nonetheless, I would have not known what sin was had it not been for the law. For I would have not known what coveting really was if the law had not said, you shall not covet. And as... Sorry. In, in the verse before that, but now, by dying to once, what once bound us, that is the law and sin, we have been released from the law so that we serve in the new way of the Spirit, not in the old way of the written code. Do you get how cool that is? Do you get what the old covenant prophets and priests look to you and say, ah, if only we could experience what you all are experiencing. You've been harvested with the Holy Spirit of God. And the evidence of those who were harvested by the Holy Spirit of God is that they were called as though they had too much wine to drink. Because that's what it looked like. And this is also what we see in them in verse 42. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe. Many wonders and signs were performed by the apostles. They were together. They had everything in common. Sold their property. Gave to anyone as they had need. They met together every day. Broke bread in their homes. Ate together. Glad and sincere hearts. Praising God. Enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to that harvest daily those who are being saved. You know what that reminds me of? Reminds me of a... And keep your finger in, in Acts 2, but go ahead and take a peek over in Ephesians 5. This whole idea of like, why... Why are you like thinking that people are drunk because they speak Italian, if that existed yet, or Mandarin, or Hungarian, or the, I don't know, the language of the Kushites, or the, the, the language of, of the Persians, or, or you, know, you pick the dialect. Again, if, if suddenly Crystal stood up right now among our number saying, oh my goodness, it's Pentecost, and let me just share this with you, and suddenly... You know that Crystal flunked out of Spanish, and we all know that. Amen. Bless her heart. But all of a sudden, she stands up, and she just busts out and, 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 and gives a recap of what I just did in Spanish, and everybody from Williamsburg says, Amen. I don't, I don't think, I don't think that all y'all would say, Oh, man, David. Was Crystal drinking before church today? That would be the last thing you would think. I mean, no, no, really, think this through if that really did happen. She busts out in a, in a language that is able to be comprehended by you, and you're thinking, wow, that, there's real power in God. I mean, so I don't, I don't think these crowds were saying, oh, they had much too, too much wine to think because of hearing them in their own native language. Again, it says they heard them in their own native language. I think that made him say, something big's going on here. But I think maybe watching the way they behaved with one another, this devoted to one another, praising God, enjoying the favor of all the people, perhaps the way they were so free and loving and uninhibited in their conduct with one another, perhaps that made them think, they look like they're drunk. 
Because think about what people look like when they're drunk. Maybe you've seen movies, for example. And, and when, when people get drunk in movies, you know, there's the, I love you, man, oh, you're great. There's singing, spontaneous singing, a lot of spontaneous singing. There's, there's a lot of uh, expressing oneself more fully to one another, expressing love. And, and again, there is a lack of inhibitions. So you do and say things that unfortunately are debaucherous, but you're not being held back by fleshly inhibitions. With that in mind, read with me over in Ephesians 5. All right, yeah, come on. Verse 15. Be very careful then how you live, not as unwise, but wise, making the most of every opportunity because the days are evil. Therefore, don't be foolish, but understand what the Lord's will is. I started there because I want to make sure that we're anchored with what is about to be said. All needs to be in the context of living in alignment with the good, pleasing, and perfect will of God. Yeah. A God of order, not of disorder. This is the God in view here. And now it goes on to say, Do not get drunk on wine, which leads to debauchery. Instead, be filled with the Spirit. We've looked at this phrase earlier this year. That phrase is not just merely a contrast, it's also a comparison. And the comparison needs a qualifier. Because when you get drunk on wine, and when you get filled with the Spirit, a lot of the same thing happens. Your inhibitions fall to the side. Therefore, the qualifier. Now, when these inhibitions get fall, fall to the side, don't, don't, don't go down a path of debauchery. Instead, know what God's will is. Because when you allow the Spirit to be expressed through your life, rather than your flesh, when the Spirit is, is no longer checked by our flesh, you're going to do stuff that you wouldn't ordinarily do. You're going to love more deeply. You're going to proclaim more profoundly. You're going to be brazen in your proclamation of Jesus Christ. And a lot of things that you're going to do are going to look like you're drunk. Because you are living for something radically great and no longer so inhibited by your flesh. So do not get drunk on wine, which leads to debauchery. Instead, be filled with the Spirit, speaking to one another with psalms, hymns, and songs from the Spirit. Sing, make music from your heart to the Lord, always giving thanks to God the Father for everything in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. So back to Acts chapter 2, if we saw that in Acts chapter 2 and know that that's what's going on, the phenomenon described in Ephesians 5, where you're filled with the Spirit, and you're singing to one another, you're giving thanks to God, you're proclaiming, you're excited, you're bonded, you are no longer constrained by anything fleshly, and no longer constrained, you just go for it with the will of God, by the Spirit of God, you are going to make an impression. And that impression may be, I've never seen anything so unbridled and joyful like that before, Maybe that's wine doing, doing the talking right there. But this is, when you no longer are constrained by stain, when you no longer have shame holding you back, when you know that there are no stains on you at all, and that you are merely a refined new creation Amen. to bring about the glories of God and to further the great harvest of God, your life looks different. And as a matter of fact, that's what God's will is for every one of us. Yeah. And the more that we remind ourselves that that's what we were reborn to, 
That's our great destiny. That's our great significance and purpose. My goodness. What an exciting life we have. And all of it is to prepare us for the last of these. No more pains. You know, in the midst of Acts 2, there's a little bit of a reminder. This is before. All of this is before the great and glorious day of the Lord. And what is that? It's the final harvest. It's when the final trumpet will blow. When the voice of the archangel is heard. More than a rushing wind. More than a loud trumpet. But the final call. The sky will open up as a scroll. Jesus will descend with the trillions of holy angels. And then they will come down. And they will harvest you. And you will be brought up into the clouds to be able to meet Jesus. The world and all creation will be recreated. You'll come back with new bodies, praise God, into a new, new creation to enjoy God forever as the ultimate plan of His redemption and to be His people. And from that point forward, as God's great and final harvest, to behold, I love what Revelation says, you will behold the face of God. That's what all of this is ultimately leading to. We've seen the fulfillment of Jesus in the Feast of First Fruits. We've seen the fulfillment in our redeemed lives in the, in the great feast and birthday of Pentecost. And now, we get to anticipate what all of this is for. The next sound that we hear, the next trumpet that blows, that causes us to tremble, it's going to be the big one. Come on. The greatest joy we could all imagine. Yeah. And it's God's will, and it's coming our way. In the meantime, God's kindness helps lead us to repentance. Amen. And before that next trumpet blows, <coughs> before that third feast is fulfilled, we've got a minute. We've got a minute to get right, yeah. and we've got a minute to go help people get right. Amen. Let's honor Pentecost and realizing what this is all about. It's harvest time. And brothers and sisters, for us, not only is it celebration time and happy birthday time, but it's also time to roll up our sleeves, get out the sickle, bring in the groceries, and celebrate the harvest. Thank you. Amen.